Welcome to Darkly Lit, a monthly podcast where we enter through a location not sane that stands by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. I'm your host, Kayla, and uh, would I let my other hosts introduce themselves to this. Hello, I am David King, and I have gathered a group of psychically inclined individuals to perform a scientific study into the nature of the afterlife. And I'm Sade. I'm a ghost. I'm, I'm here what you're here to study, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, we came to study you. Yep. After- <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> I just always thought that Sade was originally from Limbo or something, and that... Isn't that where, isn't that where Sade is broadcasting from, Limbo? Because uh, he's using that afterlife-fi. Ah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not ever sorry, actually. Sorry. So, I'm proud sorry. of my bad pun. If you haven't guessed, I feel like I say this every time. If you haven't guessed. Well, it's not like we don't advertise it a bunch, but it's not like it's not the title of the episode either. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, we read The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Who do I call Shirley then? Well, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. <laughs> I'm glad I got you to laugh at that. Hey, hey, there was another Jackson who talked about nasty boys don't mean a thing. <laughs> oh, you nasty boys. Mm. So, so I probably should uh, delve into um, the summary of this, but I figured also uh, Shirley Jackson herself is quite a figure. I mean, she, she is a renowned author as well. Mm-hmm. She wrote some things. She wrote a few things, yes, some good things. And I figured um, knowing her background could also give us some insight into this because this is more than just a ghost story. Like the and it, it was intended that way, of course. So okay, I'll I'll just give the story. So uh, the haunting of Hill House revolves around our, I guess, heroine, yeah, uh, named Eleanor Vance, whose uh, mother just passed away and. Eleanor has been taking care of her mother for like most of her adult life. And now she's 11 years. Yeah. And now is living with her sister squatting and is like, I need to do something and sees that there is or well, no, she doesn't see it. She actually gets a invitation from, I got to make sure it's the right one. Dr. John Montague, because it's not, that's not the name in the movie. Right. But from Dr. John Montague saying he's doing a study of the supernatural and would like to invite her to Hill House. And she accepts because she's like, I, I I need to do something. I need to get away. And she does. She goes there. Uh, she meets uh, Theodora, a bohemian artist who lives alone. Or no, she lives with a female companion. Her roommate, you know, quote, you know, in quote. A, 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 a roommate that she gets into very passionate fights with, apparently. Yeah. As well as uh, Luke Sanderson, who will actually go to inherit the Hill House or said Hill House. And it's a lot of different episodes of like supernatural things happening. But we're not quite sure if they're actually supernatural or they're just in the minds of our heroine or s- some of our guests that are there. And... It takes a toll on Eleanor's sanity until it finally destroys her in the end. Spoiler alert. 
That's pretty succinct, though, honestly. it's not. The book was written in 1959, or the published in 1959. It's not like people don't know what happens in The Haunting of Hill House. Well, I hope they would know. Um, well, not, I mean, not, I, I guess if they've seen the movie by uh, Robert Weiss, then yes, they would know. And it actually follows, that movie follows the book pretty closely, but we'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, let's do a little history on Miss Shirley Jackson, who was born in uh, on December 14th, 1916, in San Francisco, California. She, I, I, I don't want to say it was like a tough life, but her mom wasn't exactly the nicest woman to her. Uh, she told her she would, she actually told her she was a failed on abortion. Whoa. Yeah, she said, I, I'm sad that you were born so early because I wanted to enjoy my time with my handsome husband. Oh. Yeah, not not a great mom. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that explains a lot about about certain things. If you yeah. want to put that subtext in there. Sorry, carry on. But uh, also she wanted her daughter to be like a girly girl, uh, someone who would be like a debutante type person. But uh, Shirley wasn't. Shirley was a writer through and through. She was the nerdy girl that loved to read and write. And one of this was also a struggle for her to get along with people, along with the fact that she did have a weight problem, um, one that would persist throughout her life. And this did very little for her confidence, I will say that. And to make matters worse, her senior year of high school, because she lived in, like, the outskirts of San Francisco, they moved to Rochester, New York, so completely uplifted her life. Mm -hmm. And then her parents convinced her to go to the University of Rochester so they could keep a better eye on her. She hated it, took a year off, and transferred to Syracuse, which is such a better school. And actually loved it and basically thrived through it and got her bachelor's degree in journalism. Uh, and also during that time, uh, she became part of the Campus Literary Magazine. And that's how she met her husband, Stanley Egger Hyman, who he'll, he plays in a very important factor in her life, I will say, and probably in her writing as well. After college, um, they get married and they eventually... Uh, Stanley becomes a well-renowned literary critic as well as a uh, teacher at Bennington College. I, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Bennington College. And um, he's not exactly the best husband. He has many, many affairs on her. Oh, boy. Uh, a lot of them with his students. Oh, double boy. Yeah. And honestly, he basically... He was like the face of their family. Like, he was the extrovert and was the one that was the charming one that everyone's like, oh, you're, isn't your husband so wonderful? Even though her, so she wrote them a novel, The Lottery, mm -hmm. which many people know is like a classic. Yes. And that made him a lot of money. Like it was like that basically is what paid for their lifestyle. And um, that was, that's was one interesting thing about their lifestyle. They were, they were definitely hosts and not just hosts, but like hosts to like, the literary scene of that time. Okay. So, like, they would be boozing with all these uh, different authors, including Ralph Ellison. Oh, hey. Yeah. And, but everybody's like, oh, your husband is so wonderful and so amazing. And she was always, and she even said this, I was always the uh, faculty wife. Oh. Um, they had four children, uh, uh, Lawrence, Joanne, Sarah, and Barry. And um, she actually did make, like, fictionalized versions of them in her short stories. But she just felt very, tr still very trapped in her life. It 
her husband was very controlling. And not only that, he kept saying, I want an open marriage. And she reluctantly agreed to that. She didn't want it. but And then he also controlled their finances as well. Yeah. A real prize, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, she did die very young. Um, and the reason why is she had a lot of health problems, not just due to her weight, but because she smoked all the time. And to make it worse, uh, she had anxiety and depression and would go see a psychiatrist for and he would prescribe her uh barbiturate i keep saying it wrong what's the word barbiturate barbiturate thank you uh which at that time was considered safe but it messed with her It, it it made her anxiety worse and such um and with all this going on it did lead to her declining health and sadly uh she passed away in her sleep at the age of 48 in 1965 Yikes. Uh, they, the death was uh, considered a cardiac arrest. Okay. And that was, they said that was the cause. So. Oh, boy. But she wrote quite a few works. The Lottery uh, being one of her famous ones, probably the most famous one outside of The Haunting of Hill House, which is interesting because uh, The Haunting of Hill House was written later in her life. I mean, she wrote it in 1959 and passed away in 1965. Before that, she wrote other novels like The Bird's Nest, which is about a woman with multiple personality disorders. Or uh, uh, dissociative identity disorder. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. As well as uh, The Sundial, which is about a, a wealthy family who believes they're going to survive the end of the world. Both of those sound very interesting. Yes. So, I mean, she was a talented writer, but she never really had the spotlight. So that's unfortunate. I feel like, again, some of that informs uh, what we know about maybe... Maybe some of the characters in Hill House. Yeah. But I don't want to read too deeply into it. I kind of want to look at the story on its own merits. So, um, but thank you for the info there, Kayla. That's mm-hmm. actually really well, well done. So do, how do we start? What do we, what do we say about, about Hill House without going into the obvious territory of, hey, let's talk about its adaptations first. Well, I want, yeah, I want to avoid that. But <laughs> let's I guess, save that to the end. I feel, I think the discussion is going to be like, let's let's focus on the novel first. Yes. Because I think the second half of the episode will likely just be just the adaptation. Honestly, um, yeah. Yeah, actually, we did get two questions. And of course, both are about the adaptations. Yeah, and that's what One I of the questions is, what did you think of them? <laughs> so, so we'll definitely get to those. But let's, I guess, focus on the book for a while. Of um, course. For me, it was my first time reading it. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Same. Oh, okay. okay. I had been under the impression you guys had read it already. <laughs> no. At least one. No, we just wanted to read it for a long time. <laughs> okay. I really enjoyed it. I did too. I did like, three. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it wasn't really, for me, horror in the sense I was like scared, you know, like, but I, can't, I have to say that about like everything, like few things actually genuinely scare me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that might mm-hmm. be why I'm like really into like true crime lately, because that's slightly more terrifying, but still doesn't get to me. It did give me, it did put me in this like mindset where it really got me thinking about just like not so much the afterlife, but like how we kind of perceive things. Mm-hmm. So in, in that aspect, it was a really enjoyable read for me because it kind of like made me start looking at things differently. Yeah, I can see that actually, especially with, I mean, that's the whole, like the two characters are kind of, it deals with a bit of their mortality and such. So, um, also, I, like, I really enjoyed all the characters. Yeah. I Rarely do I ever see, read a book where I love all the characters equally. 
Mm-hmm. And in this case, I actually enjoy all of them equally and find them all fascinating. Even Dr. Montague's wife, when she comes in, I... <laughs> and Arthur. And, and Arthur. Arthur. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. I I love them. I hate them, but I love that. You I love that they're them. characters. Yeah. 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 I had the exact same feeling where I was like, I don't like these characters, not because they're they're not well written, but because they are so well written, they irritate me and just like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are the. They are both the most like vapid kind of people. They're oh, ridiculous. Oh yeah, I'm reading this. I'm like, what a bitch. <laughs> they're they're written to be disliked, and it's done so damn well. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. By the way, do you? Is it obvious, or maybe not obvious, but is she clearly sleeping with Arthur? Like, it's clearly like why has she had this random guy that no understandable connection whatsoever? drive her all this way and then drive back like he's like taking time off of work for this woman i didn't i didn't get that feel oh i that's what i thought i thought she was just such a terrible person that she's sleeping with this guy i just figured i i figured at the very least they just really liked each other platonically but i i, I could read it that way and that doc, dr montague is almost like a little bit of a kept man mm-hmm and that this is him finally getting away to do research on his own terms. Like, they probably met and bonded over their love of the supernatural, but she's still very much in the romantic side of, like, there's a nun walled up somewhere in this house, and <laughs> clearly she needs our help. And here, you can just... And meanwhile, he's just like, I'm literally just trying to f- figure this out scientifically. We can't fall to fancy. And that's exactly what Hill House preys on. So, like, you know. Mm-hmm. I-, I love also the fact that Hill House even in the novel, is made into a character. Yeah, Hill House is definitely a character. I think that's crucial to, like, haunted house stories. Like, if your house isn't treated as a character, then you're doing something wrong. Right. Um, But I mean, I was almost saying more than other haunted house stories, Hill House is a presence, is a persona. Mm -hmm. There's there's actually, like, from the first paragraph, there is a, I mean, they describe, Kayla kind of parodied this a little earlier hill the, one of the first descriptions of hill house is not sane mm-hmm. and that's applied to a location and i find that legit interesting i, I kind of it almost harkens back a little to uh arkham asylum like that that location is character oh and, yeah you know it's a character in itself but this is like the haunted house this mm-hmm. is the definition of like how you how i would put make a, a haunted house have a persona and that's amazing i I do also want to like briefly touch on since we're talking about characters before we get to the main ones. Uh, I do kind of enjoy the bits with the Dudleys. Yeah, Mrs. Dudley in particular. <laughs> yeah. She's on autopilot most of the time, and it's amazing. She's like, I'm just doing this. You got it. She she literally talks in her script, even when people talk to her. Like, this, <laughs> morning, Mrs. Dudley. I set the table at nine. You know, that? this is my job. I get paid for this, and they never say after midnight or mm-hmm. after an e- night when uh, in the, the night. No, when sun, in the dark, when the sun sets, they're gone. Yep. <laughs> so no uh-huh. one will be able to hear you scream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then I like that also it delves into Eleanor's mind most of all. That's why I think she's definitely the main character because yeah, Eleanor's our lead. We're we're with her pretty mm-hmm. much most of the book like the most of the book is even though it's it's third person the book is through is viewed through eleanor which is interesting because it really does give a flawed you know it gives that the book that very strange flawed look and does give a third person um a third person narration and unreliable narrator angle because we're Mm -hmm. so close to nell and we get all of her thoughts and stuff i think she's already like kind of the most sympathetic and the most easily relatable and then when we have it have most of the book from her 
it, it makes us feel even closer to her. Yeah, definitely. But also kind of really love Theo. Yeah, I love it. Theo's awesome. Theo, <laughs> Theo's kind of my favorite character yeah. because... I, I think Luke is kind of my favorite just because I pictured him as one of the actors from the actor from the Netflix adaptation. And that's the only thing I'll mention about that side. And he's really cute. And now I just picture him proper (laughs) dressed and just being the charming, like, which is not the character at all, but we'll get to that. So I had a little crush on Luke too. (laughs) But I can also maybe blame Eleanor for that. One of the interesting things I found was the dialogue between them. They talk like they've been friends for years. Like they, there is so much witty banter as well. A lot of yes and. Yeah, these people play off each other remarkably well. Oh, it's like actually yeah. really funny. And I, I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that is is just the way Eleanor perceives it. Because hmm. I really want to talk. One of the things I, that stuck with me throughout the book is is just how much of a scatterbrained, emotional wreck Eleanor is. The book t- portrays that extremely and well. And it's and it's and it's and the thing here's the thing. Despite that, it's all done incredibly sympathetically. You really feel for her. Mm-hmm. Like I, I totally get why stones fell on her house when she was a child because she had a a really hectic, terrible childhood and also her adulthood. Uh, most of her adulthood. She She's, I, I, you know, there's so many places where El, where their relationship is described, like the characters off the side is described like children, they did this, like children, they did that. They are, they're like children. Mm-hmm. And Nell most of all, because she wasn't given the opportunity to grow up. I find it fascinating too, because uh, she's 32. Like it's clearly says her age is 32. Right. She says she's 34 and then she like, it, it says that she wondered why she added two years onto her yeah. age. I'm like, she's that's she, so sad. She lies the whole time, though. If you think about, it. like, she lied about having her own uh, her own place. Right. She lies about her life. I, to, to be fair, a lot of the people spend their time doing these sort of like clearly they're lying, but they're they're no they're they're just playing off each other a little bit. Yeah, and then um, although I don't think I don't think Theo lies. I mean. But Theo doesn't tell the truth. She doesn't tell the truth, but she doesn't lie either. She just gives <laughs> Theo. It's the time in the time period. Theo's not going to tell the truth about who she's living with and why she's living with her. I mean, come on, uh, come which, on. We I, all we all get the subtext here. Actually, here's the funny part because I wondered about that too. Was I'm like, was Shirley Jackson? Bisexual? Because it's like it's clearly like there's a big subtext there that. Theo is a bisexual woman, if if not a lesbian, if not a lesbian. But apparently Shirley Jackson, when she heard that, like scholars were adding lesbianism to her text, freaked out. She was actually afraid, like genuinely afraid of lesbians. And she had a break, like mental breakdown when she heard that. And and but here's another thing, too. People in college, because she didn't really date or anything and she kept to herself. A lot of people thought she was a lesbian. Oh, so I won. Not I'm not saying like it's her trying to hide the fact, oh, she's a lesbian or whatever. But I wonder if her fear came from the fact that everyone kept saying, oh, you're a lesbian. Are you a lesbian? Um, Less about is Theo lesbian and there's a lesbian subtext and more are you lesbian because you wrote a a a uh, veiled lesbian character. But um, I think her main intention was to make Theo seem more like this independent woman Mm -hmm. that was doing her own thing. And was like free from everything. Yeah, she's she's the most free spirited of the bunch, and you can just picture her like 
I could I know who she's played by in the movie, so that in the 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 movie that I love, so that's the thing I picture. But I can almost picture a an Audrey Hepburn type mm-hmm. playing um like Theo. I, she she's great. Luke's great. Nell, well, I mean, there's there's more we can say about Nell. What about Doctor Montague? Loved all the characters. Doctor was especially endearing, and I actually, I this time, anytime I like came across a line or something that was like stuck out to me, I I wrote it on a sticky note in the back of the book. Uh-huh. There was a part where he he starts talking to them about Hill House, and he's standing like a professor, and there's like one of the lines is like a lack of a blackboard. Yeah, <laughs> and like. That just really charmed me to him, where he's just, like, this very professorly type, and he's kind of, like, the the guardian for all of them, and how he just stays up, you know, like, their first few nights they are reading, so he can, like, listen for anything to kind of watch over them. I don't know. He's a sweet old man, and I wish he had a better wife. (laughs) Although, I think that's another reason that endeared me to him was his interactions with his wife. It's like he, I don't know why he's staying with her, but he clearly doesn't, he puts up with her, but, like, he, in a way, he still combats with her. Like, she'll say something, he's like, there's no nun. There was never a nun here. No, there is a nun. Never a nun, hun. <laughs> never a nun, hun. <laughs> never a nun, hun. <laughs> I, do, I did get the impression of, like, as as uh, fed up as he gets with some of his wife's tendencies, he does still love her. Mm-hmm. That's why he puts yeah. up with it. Um. Some scholars have said that the reason she was put in there was for comedic effect, or comedic reasons i think she's important though because i feel like her present i i personally read it as her presence and the and her she kind of helps push hill house in the direction of being even more active yeah because she's she's dabbling a little more i don't know like hill house was already by that point in the book hill house is already starting to it's latched onto nell it's focused on nell and nell is the one who's the center of and you know the thing is people will say how much of this is in nell's head i mean that's that's it's definitely something you can argue but like it can't all be because they get they experience stuff themselves. Everybody experiences similar shared experiences. But how much of it is Nell resonating with the house? Because, again, we know that as a child, stones fell on the roof of her house. And that's a sign of like poltergeist activity that comes from it. But if you go back to like a lot of explanations for poltergeists, they are not actually ghosts or spirits, but manifestations of people who are emotionally troubled. Because that was mm-hmm. the thing I some people kind of forget and is that she she and Theo were invited to this house because of their connections to the paranormal. Like like you said, stones rained on uh Nell's house and Theo apparently has some psychic abilities. She's a she's a telepath, if I recall correctly. Yeah. That's, that's her whole thing. She's an empath and a telepath. Uh, there is a point where uh, Nels is thinking she's just saying that just to annoy me. And then Theo keeps repeating it. I can't remember. Yeah, the word. she 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 can clearly pick up some of some of Nell's thoughts. Like you, you actually hear her have verbal responses to things Nell was just thinking to herself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So which is interesting. And like. I immediately loved the friendship they formed and was very disheartened when, like, Theo did something. And this is where I feel like you can feel uh, Nell's, like, desperate, cloying need to feel mature, even though she's incredibly immature. And that's probably why. And she has that mood swing where she's just, like, it's after the the thing with with Theo's clothes getting ruined. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's that scene where they're in the parlor later and she's wearing Nell's things and and Nell is just thinking to her, I want to destroy her. I want to slap her, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this the, you turned on a dime for seemingly no reason. But I think Nell is very sensitive about having something that's her own because she's never felt that way. Mm-hmm. She's been trapped with her 
invalid mother, her, and then trapped with her her sister and her brother-in-law who don't treat her very well at all. They treat her like a child. Yeah, like, everybody everybody in, infantilizes Nell and treats her like a child, and it's it's actually really sad. She's she the thing is she is just as much of a victim as she is. Like she does stuff that's like, oh man, I that's not cool, Nell, a more mature person. Then I realize she's unfortunately she's not. Like she's essentially she was essentially emotionally abused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we, I mean, even we talk a lot about her mother, but we haven't mentioned Nell's sister, right? Who is very cold to her. And like when when they send word to her sister, like, hey, we're trying to get Nell back home to you. All the sister cares about is the car and going on vacation. Yeah, that's and that was all she cared about from the get go. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really sad. <laughs> Because there's a point where Nell's like, I want to borrow the car. It's half mine. It's half mine. And she's like, well, you shouldn't because we want to go on a vacation. But you're not going to need it while you're on vacation. But what if this happens? It's like, but it's half my car. I don't think you should take it, Nell. And they keep, like, and patronizing Because you'll her. do this. And it's clearly the wrong thing to do. Because all you do, Nell, is fuck up, basically. That's what they're saying. And then she just... And then do you, I, it makes you wonder how much... Because we don't get the reveal about what happened with... Like, Nell is constantly talking about her mother. She has this fixation on her mother because of the year she spent. And the house preys on that. Mm-hmm. The house preys on that insecurity. Um, the fact that she can't go into the library because the library somehow reminds her of... The smell of the library reminds her of her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and the house, is, the house is constantly being like, help Eleanor come home with the written messages. Um... And then we only find out near the end that Nell partially blames herself for her mother's death. That her mo- one night her mother banged on the wall to get her attention and Nell didn't answer. And then she died. Mm-hmm. And that's that's even made that's even hinted at before that when the first time we hear the pounding, the pounding in the hallway, that's the first real major haunting of the house that occurs. Um, mm-hmm. She wakes up going, all right, mother, all right, I'm coming to the sound of the banging on the doors. But it's it's whatever is out in the hall. So I, how much of that, and and Theo hears it too. But how much of that is the house was a house originally, and how much of that is Eleanor projecting, and then the house using that is is up for debate. But I, I guess the thing I was doing, I was getting to here is just like I wonder if not only does Nell blame herself for the death of her mother, but so does the sister. Like the sister blames Nell, and that's why she treats her so coldly. You had one job; you were supposed to take care of mom, and she died. Yeah, that could be it. But it seems like her sister is just a genuinely selfish person. Yeah, no, I get that yeah, too. Yeah, I didn't get, I don't think we got enough about the sister to speculate if she felt guilty at all. I, what impression I do get is just that she left the mother for now to take care of. Yeah, because she went on, got married, had a kid. And got to live her life and basically left Nell. It's like, well, you get to get, take care of mom. Mom's your responsibility. Bye. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah it's a, like, I, I see her as more just a selfish human being. Actually, that's one character I really dislike in the no- in this novel. I dislike her. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely, yeah. I mean, at least Arthur and Mrs. Montague are like comedic. Yes. Arthur especially cracked me up. Because he's just so stiff. I know. <laughs> you should do something about the branch scratching against the window. Yes, we should. He sat up all night with a pistol and didn't hear the absolute <laughs> chaos of the house coming down around. Because that was only, con- and that was the creepy part. That was only concentrated on the original uh, four inhabitants mm-hmm. of Hill House. Um, 
So not to change the subject too much, but we we talked a little bit about their about like Theo. We've talked a, we we did talk a little bit about Theo and and Nell's relationship. Uh, what about Nell and Luke? Because there's at least one point where Nell even tries to like kind of flirt with Luke just a little bit or makes a pass at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because she she had that phrase that she kept saying about lovers meeting or journeys end and lovers meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a. She, what we establish is much to, to match up with the idea that she's not a, a terribly mature person. She has a very fairy fairy tale view of the world. We get yeah. the, all that in the driving chapters, and then um, she keeps repeating that. And then she's like, "If only this would happen, I, I'll be happy. Yeah, I want it to be like this always." And when little things go wrong, it throws her into complete dismay, and she starts feeling like they don't actually accept me. They're saying things behind my back, you know, like. And again, I think that it, some of it is her and some of it is the house exacerbating things. Well, like, she, she is very childish how she goes about it. Because there's even that scene where, like, she, she, she's got that paranoia of, like, oh, what are they saying about me behind my back? And then there's, she's hiding behind, like, some summer house or something. And while Luke and Theo are talking, and she's like, when are they going to talk about me? Yeah. Just, and they don't. <laughs> she, she wants she wants to matter to other people. She wants to be important to other people. She wants to feel like she belongs. Yeah. But she wants to be it on her own terms. She wants to be liked for her and not because she of what she can do. Mm-hmm. There are times where she's she's thinking to herself of like, I have a place here. You know, I'm part of this group, you know, when they're all like in the parlor and she's having those thoughts to herself. Right. Mm-hmm. But she hates it when they like pity her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when they treat her like, you know, they, they, they she could tell like, they're all they're all thinking I'm the weak one. I'm the one that's going to crack, you know. And that kind of starts to happen when the when the Hill House starts to focus on her with like, say, the, the blood that was written out on the walls. It's when it's starting to focus on her that they like try to console her and like pity her and worry about her. And so now that she's got this attention, but it's not the attention she wants. She's that's when she really started to turn on like, especially Theo. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she just she just wants to be valued as a basic desire. She she's never felt valued yeah. in her life, like ever. I well, don't think. Even though she took care of her mom, her mom basically like called her worthless and stuff like that. Like, and then I'm a part of me wonders if that's a part of Shirley Jackson. Yeah, I mean, now that you've mentioned that, I think about that too. I mean, Nell is clearly dealing with anxiety and depression herself, so like. Gosh, she's such a good character. I love the way she's written. And I love the fact, like, near the end, it her mindset does get chaotic, and you see that in the writing, too, which mm-hmm. I love. You can uh, you can tell that she's embraced. Like, the only person who really wants me and cares about me for me, which is the craziest thing, is Hill House. Yeah. And that's so tragic and horrifying in a really, like, somber way because this is a force of evil, as far as we know. It's a hungry force. It You know, it's like anything else. It, it, it wants to exploit, as far as we know, as far as I've interpreted it, it wants to exploit her just like anybody else. We don't know why it wants Nell in particular, but it does, and it, it ends up, it claims her, it takes her. Mm-hmm. It's duplicitous in the way it does things. I don't, I feel like it didn't so much just claim her as it, it refused to let her get away. That's true. Now, my question is how much of, so I, let's let's go ahead and talk about the very end. And then I want to talk about the hauntings themselves because mm-hmm. those are really cool moments. But the end when she drives her car into the tree and kills herself. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that is her and or how, and how much of that is Hill House or is it like equal parts of it that there's like Hill House is now in her head and she's just like, 
I want to belong and they can't send me away. So I'm going to, they, I'm, I'm making my own decision. They can't stop me. I'm going to be stay here at Hill House forever. So, and then there's that split second before she crashes where she says, wait, why am I doing this? Why don't they stop me? And that's, that broke my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's I, when I thought, no, that's not her. That's Hill House. Yeah, I think it's 100% Hill House, especially because if we if we look back to the start of the book and I went and I went and marked this page so I could read it to you guys when right. Dr. Montague is, is talking about the last person who tried to leave Hill House, like the last person who tried to leave Hill House in the darkness. In darkness, it was 18 years ago, I grant you, was killed at the turn in the driveway where his horse bolted and crushed him against the big tree. Mm hmm. It's exactly how how Nell died, except with a car. Exactly, and also before when uh, in the so in the backstory of Hill House, they talk about uh, how Hugh Crane builds it, and his wife never got to the house. She was killed in a carriage accident on the with it just within sight of the house. Um, I don't know if it's ever specified, but it could have even been the same the same bend in the road, the same tree. Hmm. The one thing uh, I also like the fact that. Um, uh, they noted like, oh, th- the house doesn't seem right. And it's like, oh, that was intentional because Hugh Crane wanted it to be kind of like another uh, Winchester mansion. And he even <laughs> says that. And I'm like, <laughs> the angles are all slightly off. So you don't, you don't see it, but you can hear some part of your brain picks up on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's like uh, Mr. Plinkett says, you may not have noticed it, but your brain did. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that house is just bad psychically anyway. And it, maybe if not, cause you know, it's hard to explain cause they don't even know if it, it's not, I was in an episode about ghost stories of the witching hour, which is for those who don't know, say it's podcast. Yeah. And I appreciated being a guest on that one. And we touched on this a little bit, but there's no explanation given as to why Hill House is haunted. It just is. Mm-hmm. And do, I like We that. learn a bit of, like, some of the tragic things that happen there. But, you know, where where is the house the way it is because of the tragic things that happen? Or did those tragic things happen because of the house itself? And Did, did Hugh Crane accidentally t- tap into some psychically bad architecture? Did he, did he pick up some bad feng shui when he decided to do this? Was the area <laughs> just a, a spot for, for malignant forces? We don't know. And I love that we don't know. He, and it's like Hugh Crane is not explained to be evil or anything like that. No, but he's clearly a, a intense person. Yeah, but that doesn't wouldn't relate to the house is evil because of the person who built it. No, that's that's why we're like, how yeah. much of it? The little that we know about Hugh Crane, he was definitely an intense man, especially when we learn about the book that he left <laughs> yeah. for his daughter. Yeah. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's when I was like, oh my God. Well, he's just, he he wrote the final thing in his own blood. Yeah. So just like, to... if, if that, if he would put that into a book, can you imagine like just the kind of energy he would put into a house built for his family? That, no. Yeah, exactly. And you know what else is interesting too, is there's um kind of echoing Nell's uh, squabble with her sister for control in a weird way is that you have Hughes, uh, two daughters who basically fought for control over Hill house their entire lives. Although mm-hmm. by the way, remember how it said the one sister, he says the one sister never married, but she took a female companion. <laughs> and I'm like, it's right. Are, what? Well, the impression then, I got and, was that by that, that point, the sister, the 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 sister who inherited the there's the, they're they're referred to as the good sister and the bad sister. Yeah. And the bad for some reason the bad sister is not the sister who screwed her sister out of Hill House. No, the bad sister is the one who spent her whole life trying to claim Hill House from her sister, who she thought 
unjustly took it from her. I don't know why she's the wicked sister when I think the sister who who got Hill House and got the companion was the more the more nefarious of the two. I mean, it's just I think it's ironic. And then, uh, but, but my argument is that she claims she took a female companion, but I imagine she was much older when that happened. Like a like the companion was was significantly younger, just a village girl. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. this woman she needed a companion because she was old and needed a more like a like a handmaid type. Okay. Yeah, companion. I know, I know, I know. I want to read. I part of me wants to read wants to read gay subtext into there too because it's fun <laughs> whenever there's gay subtext. And Trust me, I am. I am. Theo, my so. mind is like a hundred percent gay subtext. Like. <laughs> and I didn't pick it up there, so... <laughs> well, the reason I picked it up uh, was not only the, because I was like, okay, interesting, and but then later on it says she died, and apparently the companion fought with the sister for control over Hill House, just because she... It's like, but if you just live there as a handmaiden, why are you fighting so hard? Why is it you well, get maybe control? she fell under the same influence that Nell did, where she and, she believed the house was hers, that, and that she belonged there. That's what I believe. And, that, and you're probably right on that front. And, and they say it was all the pressure from the village that eventually drove her the companion to suicide. But it could, again, much like Nell, it could have been just the house going like, these people want to take you away from me. Mm-hmm. You need to... Do you need to make sure you stay in Hill House forever? You know. Mm. So then she hanged herself from the from the tower. I love how certain. I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to keep changing the subject, but I love how certain spots in the house have very specific feels and meanings to them, and they're given major importance. The library, the iron stair, the spiral staircase, yeah, uh, the, the tower, nursery. the 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 nursery, the cold spot between the nursery door and the the long hall. Mm. The fact mm-hmm. that the rooms have different colors assigned to them, which is very reminiscent to me. I wonder if she drew this from Poe, of Mask of the Red Death. She could have. I mean, mm. she she got a bachelor's degree in journalism. She was very involved with like uh, with literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a reader. So, because I, I for those who are not familiar, in Mask of the Red Death, the, the during the ball, there are several rooms set aside in the in the this party of this aristocracy that are all colored rooms they're like themed rooms and colors they use a particular window glass and something to have a different color to them and um i thought about that when they started describing the rooms of hill house how uh theo's in the green room and uh nell is in the blue room Mm -hmm. um the purple room is kind of the parlor where they all hang out you know things like that um makes me wonder if maybe that was just something common to the time mm -hmm. having a a room for each color, okay. color theme. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she wrote it in the 50s, so. But this was a house. I, it The house had only, it's interesting, the house had stood for 80 years. It was built in the late, if I recall, it was built in the late 1880 or 1800s at that rate. Yeah. Right. It would have been, yes. Right. So at the time, yeah, I could see that. Gosh, I there's so much I like about this book. Oh, um, it's great. I It was, I, I really did enjoy it. <laughs> well, okay. So what were some of your favorite um hauntings like the specific hauntings that happened oh um i'm trying to think which one i the one that always sticks out to me personally is i love the first one where it's the the thing thumping through the hall moving up and down banging on the doors mm-hmm. yeah um but i extra but the one that i i personally like the best is when nell and theo are outside going for a walk and suddenly they're out in the field and colors inverse like the sky is black and the trees are white 
like everything suddenly around them becomes like reverse imaging and that freaks Nell out. And then they see a they see a picnic with um apparitions of like this is the one time we see anything in this book, by the way, in this in this story. Yeah. We see the image of a family at a picnic, and then Theo looks over her shoulder at something and says to Nell, run, don't stop, don't look back. Mm-hmm. And then she that runs. Was, that part was a little creepy. I loved yeah. that part. And we never saw we never know what Theo saw. But here's mm-hmm. here's and another makes it creepy. Yeah. <laughs> here, here's another thing too. How much I mean, it has been confirmed for the most part that Theo is a telepath. Yeah. How much of that was just in Nell's head and Theo was able to pick that up? Oh, like how much mm, of that was just like Nell, ble- like Hill House bleeding through to Nell and then Theo picking that up? Yeah. Because it didn't seem like there was much that Theo could do at a certain point. It seemed like Nell, like the house eventually was able to kind of close Nell off even from Theo. Yeah. And Theo was the person she was closest to. That was why I think that's why Hill House might have targeted Theo in like more so than Nell, like the only person it really targets, like it, it distracts Dr. Montague and um, Luke. Luke the first night with that, um, the dog. Mm-hmm. Like they think they see an animal running through the house and they chase it outside to separate them. But it it messes with Theo and then it messes with Nell's perception of Theo. Well, that could all, but how much of that is Nell just being a childish and how much of that is Hill House? Exactly. Preying on Nell's insecurities and to make her like start to like sometimes love but then other times really hate Theo. Mm-hmm. The one that I, and I always, I even love that scene in the movie was the hand holding one where she's just. <gasps> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I really like it. Cause it, cause um, like she thinks she's holding Theo's hand the whole time. And then it turns out she looks in, at her hand and Theo's farther away. And she's like, whose hand was I holding? <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> that is so creepy. What about, what about you said? Actually, the hand one was definitely a favorite, but I also really like the just the thought of the of spotting a dog just randomly in the hallway and then running away because that for some reason that feels a little more tangible and just like really fucking creepy to me. It is creepy. Mm-hmm. Can you just imagine being in like just a big a big building and there should no be there shouldn't be any animals, but you just like happen to see it run down that hall. Yeah, like, the way the, the way fuck? that yeah, the way that Dr. Montague described where he's just like he was reading his book and something ran past his door, mm-hmm. something on all fours. At least he he looked he only caught it out of his periphery, but he's like, oh god, there's some sort of dog in the house. But he didn't see it very clearly, and that makes it even creepier. Mm-hmm. It's just like he, the idea that it he might just assume it was a dog because it was on all fours and went by real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great that we don't even? That's the that's the other strength of this book. We don't see really see Mm -hmm. any ghosts Mm -mm. and that's why people wonder it's like is it really haunted and how much of it is in nell's mind because that's one of here's one of the things that helps maybe influence her quite a bit or makes people believe there is something wrong is i mean they immediately go in and say no this place is haunted this place has been known to be haunted there's weird stuff going on and it's there there's creepy stuff and that's why we're here so they're already going in knowing like yeah creepy house which is funny because dr montague is all like well i don't want to get strike anyone's fancy but they're like you have to tell us about this like well i I really don't want anyone to freak out because he's like oh tell us about it and then he starts describing how the house is leprous and he's just like (laughs) i'm like you're really doing a good job making everybody feel chill in this goddamn like like cursed mansion so already <laughs> well, i feel like that was more like he everyone not so much maybe wanted to know about the house but wanted him to confirm their feelings on it mm-hmm. 
Because, like, the second Nell walks in, she says she has this feeling of, like, this voice telling her, like, get away, just, like, run away. Yeah. It's it's such a contrast to how she feels about it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's good. I, I But, you know, again, I feel like the thing, though, is you could say some of it is Nell. Some of it is mm-hmm. the, the the feedback that Nell gives to the house. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that so many, so many of the hauntings seem correlating with, like, things that happen. Like, you could say are, like, symbolic or parallel to things that she experienced when she, you know, a callback to the traumas she suffered. Mm-hmm. So I would say the house can also can pick up her, to quote the Haunted Mansion, sympathetic vibrations and mm-hmm. propel them back at everyone else. But the fact that the Dudleys won't go back there at night, the fact that the house has such a history and it it, it links up with things that happened, I think it would it would be kind of ridiculous to rule out that, oh, maybe it's all just Nell's psychic rejections being amplified by the house. Because mm-hmm. there's no doubt, because to say it's all Nell, I think is a little silly. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think maybe the house can pick up and amplify what is given to it. But the house is also an entity in itself, and it's had a long history of doing this to people. So the house is definitely haunted, in my opinion. I think the way I would like to walk away from it is that it was all house. It was it was the house. But because Nell was the one who came in and was the most naive, like the less matured in her experiences of the world, she was the most receptive. Right. The house. And the one the house could take the easiest. She was the house's prey from the get-go. Interestingly yeah. enough, too, she was the also the first one to arrive. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like the Dudley, the Dudleys know better than to stay around. But the moment she she was the, she got there before anyone else. She got introduced also, to the house first. With the Dudleys never staying after dark, I wonder if it's like, like you would be fine, you know, chilling at Hill House as long as you don't stay the night. Like, because mm. everything gets exacerbated in the in the in the night. Although, mm. to be fair, the longer they stay, the more sort of psychic phenomena happens. Because mm-hmm. like it gets to the point where they can't even go outside without things happening to them. Like the inverse thing, or that time when Nell is walking to the stream and she thinks Luke and uh, Theodora are behind her, but then when she gets there and turns around, she just hears invisible footsteps approach her, feels a cold breath, and then the footsteps splash across the stream and disappear. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah. But I think she's also, I think, again, that that's, again, hearkening to the fact that she, I think at one point she starts to think that maybe they ditched her because they wanted to go, like, make out behind a tree or something. I'm like, are you that clueless about Theo? No. Because <laughs> Theo totally wants to make out with you. Well, there is no doubt. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You could, I mean, come on. <laughs> but then again. She's, it's the she's 1950s. Flirting, she's flirting with 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 Nell constantly. Uh, I, the way I picture Theo's character, she flirts with everyone. Yeah, that's true. Because there was like, like I'm sure there's even Arthur was always like turning to Theo when he talks. Because I feel like Theo would be, you know, batting her eyelids at him, but like pretending to be interested. She's the strongest personality she, of the yeah. group. She's got the biggest presence in a room. Oh, she's yeah. an extrovert. Extraordinary. I mean, she, her name is it's it's just Theodora. That's her name. That's it. Right. She's <laughs> no she's the only name. one with no last name. She's yeah. Theodora, just Theodora. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that about her. Uh, which oh. which makes me really disappointed. So the copy of Hill House, because I checked my and the copy out from the library. Yeah, we did too. The the one that I have has uh, 
the whole Netflix little thing on it, and it's like, oh, inspiration for the Netflix series, and it has the like imagery from the Netflix series. And the person who wrote the summary in the back did not read the book. Because they're like, uh, they're like describing the characters. Dr. Montague, an occult scholar looking for solid evidence of a haunting. Theodora, his lighthearted assistant. What? What? <laughs> what? What? I'm like, I'm like, they must have only watched the movie because the doctor had an assistant in that movie, but. But that, that wasn't Theo either. Are we talking about. But that wasn't the, Theo, yeah. No. The 1990s version? Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. But Theo still wasn't the... uh, I know. It's not even a good song. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, I'm so disappointed. (laughs) It was... It's from Penguin Book Publishers, so... Uh, Y'all something about this. (laughs) Son, I am disappointed. I I was... Because I found uh, a book in our local library, too, and I, I loved how this looked. It was like a red book, like a red hardback book, with just the words, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, there, I'm like, I'm oh, jealous. this is how it should be read. This. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. I had this like, I'm pretty sure I'm like the second person to check out this book because it's like brand new, nicely laminated. There's like no like page folds or anything. And oh like, man, it's like no, I wanted a creepy book. I was Our- really disappointed because my my library didn't have its own copy. Ours had suspicious oranges stains on a couple pages. I know Ooh, those are the best. <laughs> <laughs> and the type. The type in some places was actually a little a little scuffed and faded. Yeah, this is definitely an older book. Which, I love it. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I got to read it like that. I actually just recently this is uh, this is only tangentially related, but Kayla and I were at an independent uh, horror bookstore that's in Burbank recently, and I bought a um, I bought a um, 1930s a 1939 copy of the I was like the the sketchbook of George Crayon, which is oh. the selection of sketches by uh washington irving that originally included the legend of sleepy hollow yeah it's so So it's a it's a really nice hardbound again it's a book from that was published this version this edition was published in 1939 so i have a 1930s copy of that in my on my bookshelf now but by the way i think a lot of people probably would know what this bookstore is because uh like uh it's dark delicacies it's dark delicacies <laughs> you, you need to show me that when next time i visit oh next absolutely time. They'll, they'll have moved i know that they went through a big uh, they're going through a big relocation thing but they had a fundraiser but they i think they've made their goal so they're relocating but they'll still be in business mm. so that's good well yes okay show me that show me the place too but i meant to say show me the the book you got oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yes of course <laughs> It, it'll be it'll be obvious there. So um, we are coming up on the hour mark. Should we let step, us dip our toes into the? Well, I probably should uh, say the questions and yeah. say who said them because we're probably going to get into the adaptations. And let's be honest, we've been saving those. So well, we did get one question about the book, though, didn't we? Uh, we got actually three. Okay. We got we actually got a lot of questions this episode. Hey, listeners, thank you. Thank you for for picking up steam and, and giving us more questions every time. So, uh Kyle the Lolliet Riley uh asked, "How do you feel about the various adaptations of the story?" And then user name asked, "Which is your favorite version? Book, movie, Netflix?" And then he did a scratch out that says "Rift Tracks?" question <laughs> mark. <laughs> 
Um, well, I think the answer is obvious. So if you guys don't know, there are, I hate to say three, but there's three. <laughs> Two are good. One is awful. Uh, there is the amazing 19, um, what year did it? In 60? Uh, it was 63. 63. Wow, that's not long after the book came yeah. out. Yeah. So there is the 1963 version by Robert Weiss, and it's the closest, and it's actually a really good, good adaptation it is like it's almost beat for beat like the book it changes a few things but it follows the book. only one i haven't seen (laughs) that's one of uh, next time you're you're in our area say we're gonna have a night and we're gonna watch it it's because i own a copy of it and it is well i I don't want to say too much yet let's talk about the. (laughs) but i i will say this like as it not only is it good it's like film school good like there are like scenes and shots and um just it, it's gorgeous a it's, film a film theorist would have a field day with oh this movie. yeah i oh, mean robert they wise have. robert they wise have. is a i mean we're, we're talking deep focus robert wise. yeah i know <laughs> uh and then um the next one is the 1990s version it's so awful. then, and then when there's the Netflix version, <laughs> and the 1990s version has Catherine Zeta-Jones as Theo. That's all the only thing I can say for it. Yep, that's it. it that's the one Liam good thing. Liam Neeson, and I still like Liam Neeson. Okay, Liam Neeson is actually Liam Neeson is an interesting choice, and I don't think a bad choice for Doctor Montague. Okay, the actress who plays Eleanor is not a bad actor. Yeah, either. she's not either. Like, can, she did. She's the same one who was in The Conjuring, right? That's her. I he, think so. Yeah. She did got, good. They got Owen Wilson. <laughs> Oh my god, that was just so painful. Cause I re okay, I was trying to find the the one from 1963 and I couldn't, but I could find the 1990s one. And I was like, you know what? I think I saw this once when I was a kid. I'll watch it again. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, you are not the Luke that I envisioned. No, no, wow. Uh, and like pretty the best, creepy. The best part. Is when he loses his head. Yes. And I was like, you know yes! what? <laughs> he loses his head. Oh yeah, that's right. Hill House violently kills people in this one. I do have to say though that the the house in that film was cool to look at. I mean, I guess it, it's not what I would picture for Hill House. No. A little too uh, fantastical for Hill House, but it, it was still a cool house. But but remember the part where Nell has a battle with the ghost of Hugh Crane. <laughs> Oh God! Let's not get to that. That movie made no sense to me. It doesn't. Like, oh, you're gonna do it for the children, but then like at the start of the movie, the the sister's like, "Hey, why don't you like live with us and be an in how and live in nanny for our super obnoxious son who like is breaking your shit because whatever." And then you look at the son, and she's like, "Oh God, fuck children!" But then at the end of it, it's like, "It's all for the children." I'm like, "This is not the message the movie started." And isn't out. it okay? I mean, I know we weren't going to talk about it much, but like, I, I think this is the portion where we can just get it out of our system. Wasn't the whole thing like that somehow Nell was a descendant of yeah. Ukraine? Well, here's the thing: like, no, Ukraine's wife. Ukraine's wife, not Ukraine himself. Oh, that's right. And. There was some weird, and, like... And there I, were, like, children that Crane murdered or something. It, it's so know. dumb. It's so dumb. A lot of dead children. <laughs> was it Was it because someone saw the 1963 one and went, hey, there's a lot of... Or read the book. Went, there's a lot of cherubic architecture in the house. That's like kids. Let's make kids be an important thing in the house. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can, can we talk about the Netflix one, then? Now, the, the Netflix one... 
Okay, it's really good. Don't get me wrong. It is amazing. I don't see... It's hard to call it an adaptation. It's a love letter. It's not an adapt. Well, okay, the way they're advertising it is that it was inspiration. Yeah. The the, the book was inspiration for the it, Netflix series. Like, and I can see that. They yeah. take a lot no, of little, like, details. There is no doubt this this whole series is basically touched by this book. Like, there are direct quotes from the book. Like, one of the things that they did add that I don't think they added in the movie was the Cup of Stars. Nope. And that's in mm-hmm. the book, mm-hmm. where... Which also I really did like uh, was when this kid is crying. She's like, no, I want to drink milk in my cup of stars. And Nell says, don't want to do as a kid. Yeah. And then uh, Nell says, don't give in. If once you do, it's all over from there. And it's like, (sighs) oh, yeah. But that becomes the cup of stars becomes important, like in the Netflix series or becomes a interesting symbol in the Netflix series, too. So that I wouldn't say it was interesting. Okay, I might be one of the few people who didn't really like the Netflix series. Oh, like really? I was, I was actually pretty bored by it. I did love the visual elements of just like the ghosts that they added, like because they they definitely took liberties with their ghosts, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was for me predictable. With like, what was the name character with the girl with the cup of stars who uh, dies? The actor. Well, the the character's name is Nell. So, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. She, like, the whole, oh, she's just, the f- first episode where they show the ghosts of, like, the crooked neck woman, I'm like, oh, that's just you. That's just you. <laughs> oh, you guessed that immediately? Immediately. Like, I was just super, I mean, I loved visually some of the story elements I did like, but, like, I was bored. I oh, also wow. could not, like, bring myself to be, I couldn't. I wasn't interested in any of the characters except for a little bit Luke. And that's probably why I liked Luke in that <laughs> book. Well, because I, I was sympathetic to the Luke in the Netflix version. Yeah, I, I felt for but, Luke too in the Netflix. Well, I felt for, for the most part, I was bored. <laughs> I, I felt for a lot of them. I actually did enjoy the Netflix version, but um uh, I don't it wasn't bad. Like it was it was a good it was a good sit. Like I, I go through too many shows, especially on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't hate it. It wasn't bad, but I was still a little bored. I don't think it's as great as everyone says. But that's me. I I, I really enjoyed it. Um but I like then again I'm the person I went to film school so I'm like oh my gosh look at the shots and oh my gosh in the sixth episode they don't do a cut and it's oh I did like mm-hmm. the sixth that's episode. why I say like visually it was great. It's the yeah. story that got me really bored. Mm. Yeah the I and the this the dysfunctional family. I think people people uh, people have said, and I, I, I was talking to a, a friend of ours about it, and I said, this is a series where they say, come for the haunted house story, stay for the dysfunctional family drama, I guess. Yeah, and that's what it is. It is a dysfunctional family drama. And I, that's so, the thing is, I like dysfunctional family drama, so I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this is some good stuff. I want I want to hear about these people's problems. Uh, but it did get really heavy to the point where I'm like, I can only watch an episode a day. This is too... As part I, of the reason I haven't watched the whole thing, to be real. And that's fine. I can't I can't deal with like there's certain only so much emotional heaviness and like constant tension I can deal with before it's like see the the, the reason so people were you know one of the questions was about our favorite adaptations and I can say uh, without hesitation it's the 1963 uh, It's version. mine too to actually it's like I really do like the Netflix version but oh my gosh the 1963 version it's just so the that version of it was what made me want to seek out the book in the first place even before the netflix series was announced i'm like i want to read this book someday and then the netflix series got announced i'm like this is a good opportunity for us to to finally revisit hill house Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 
what made me so happy about the book was it was so close to the movie. I love the movie. I love the the way the movie is told. There's a lot of differences. And because I'm one of those people who if I see the movie first and then I read the book, usually my I don't have the whole like, it's not like the book. So but so and it's not not in every case. But I'm actually again, like Kayla said, it's surprising how close it is. This is uh, there's a few movies or uh slash book adaptations that I'm like, oh, I like them both equally. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of those that I'm like that I'm like that. And they're usually ones that I really like. Like I genuinely love the Princess Bride movie and the book equally. Mm-hmm. And um same with the shining, but in a different manner. Right. I, um, they're 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 completely different animals. I almost don't think they're like yes, The Shining is an adaptation, but I think it's a it's a great movie, but it's a bad adaptation. But that that's a horse of a different fair, fair, that, fair. That, if we uh, if there's a chance we might read The Shining. Well, I, you could say The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix is a bad adaptation, but it's not but it's not an adaptation. It's it's, a, not, it's, an in, it's, it's inspired by Shirley Jackson. Yeah, because I don't see it as an adaptation. I just see it as a love letter. Right. Um I will say this the, I think the book is just as good as the movie. I agree. I love them both equally, pretty yeah. much. I and so say we definitely need to get you to watch that with us. Yeah, because until I see it, the book's definitely my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I was when you're describing like how heavy the Netflix series is. I'm like, did I? Am I just so <laughs> insensitive now that I just got none of that emotional tie to just. I'm worried about myself now. <laughs> no, no, actually, but no. there is one difference between you and I. Um, you've been watching scary movies all of your life, and I know this about you. Mm-hmm. I just, it, it, I didn't get into scary movies until later in life because I was not allowed to watch scary movies growing up. Like that was something my mom was like, "No," which is funny. I can watch anything else. I'm firmly, I'm firmly in the middle. I was giving I free reign, and I was just to too much. Ted Bundy's voice a few days ago, so <sighs> so ex- exactly. So you're, it, it would make sense why this wouldn't be. Th- this probably could bore you, or this you would be more numb to it because it's it's not scary. Just, you've seen, you've grown up watching scary movies all throughout your life. You know this well. I'm still. Where I, on the other hand, um, just it's like I, I just recently got into scary movies and I love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, oh, what was I missing? I'm so disappointed in myself. But mm-hmm. I can. But that's probably why I can still think, ooh, this is heavy. Um, See, I what, will what say I'm worried is like, have I ruined myself? Am I not able to appreciate <laughs> something that is scary anymore? No, because you say you you do say you listen to true crime podcasts. And or dramas, and those are and, scary. And those still kind of. Mm. All right, do what? More questions? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I will say real quick. This is just a fun nod. While you're looking, pulling your questions up. Uh, I mean, uh, this is more questions. Sade, how did you feel about? Um, so on your undercooked analysis, we did a long read through of uh, Baraska a long time ago. Uh, we've covered a few other uh, stories by that same author. Interesting fact is that that uh, that writer, C.K. Walker, their, her pen name is C.K. Walker. Uh, she, I, her real name has been since been credited. And I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, it was one of the writers for Haunting of Hill House. And I didn't know how you felt. I felt like Baraska was heavy, but I think it makes sense having watched um, certain parts of that series being like, yeah, I can see that. The I have missed quite a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I am equipped to comment there on that that's fine uh, um rebecca klingle 
Rebecca Klingel, thank you. So Rebecca Klingel, the writer of many, many stories we have covered on, a few stories we have covered on UCA. A couple we covered on uh, Undercooked or on Midnight Marinara as well. Uh, Room 733 being the, the prime example. And uh, yeah, she was uh, one of the writers for Haunting of Hill House. Just fun fact. I, do you know like maybe what episode she had the most, in, like some influence on? Because I feel for me, the parts that were the heavy, that were heavy and that did catch my attention Mm-hmm. Were and I again I say probably because I was most because I was really sympathetic with Luke were the parts with Luke where he is like because I think for me that was the the real real horror real life horror was his drug addiction problem oh for and sure where, like they think they had the whole part where like hey Nell dies and he he's he, he's physically reacting to his twin's death mm-hmm. with symptoms that are like sound like rigor mortis but they're like oh no he's in like withdrawal again or he's like you know that his you know that stuff that was really good i did enjoy that all like that was where it got heavy for me cuz it is so close to reality that his family just don't believe him and they just like he's gonna relapse again he's gonna steal money again you know yeah no man um i'm trying to find her credits because i know that she's she's she was involved so but i'm trying to find it anyway um our next question uh, actually beth morton a friend of the show hi beth gave us two questions um how does the haunting of hell house specifically in the ghost department set itself apart from the other stories involving the supernatural you never see a ghost. Yeah. There's this, no It's all it's all mystery. You don't know. Yeah, just you don't you don't know if it's really there, you don't see it. Theo sees something. There's a puppy at one point. <laughs> That's literally well, I, it's the mystery. It's like the ultimate yeah. like there's so many ghosts are like we talked about this um on on the witching hour. Like so many ghosts are like this house is haunted. Here's the what the ghost is, and here's the signs that it's clearly the ghost of this person because it has these aspects of its haunting. Not so here. This is an unknowable entity or entities or force or malignant um, presence that is the house itself. And I think one of the things that separates itself from this was like one of the first instances I can think of off the top of my head where the house itself is the haunt, not whatever mm-hmm. is occupying it. So I feel like there, there, there is no ghost. It's just the house. Right. The house is a, if not a ghost, the house itself it has has a ghostly presence. Um, it's not the first to do that. Actually, I know which one is the first to do that. Okay. And that is uh, the turn of the screw. Oh. But I think this is the one that actually made it feel more human because like Turn of the Screw was from the 1800s. And if you like I've tried to read it, it's pretty dry. (laughs) This feels more relatable. Mm. Okay, and I figured it out. Rebecca Klingel wrote one episode or uh, was a co-writer on one of the episodes. And that was Witness Marks, which is the eighth episode. And I'm like, what happened in that episode? I don't remember. That was that was the one where um, a familiar terror revisits Shirley and Theo on Halloween night as Hugh and Steve go looking for Luke, who disappeared on a deadly errand. Oh, that's the one with like the door knocking, uh, where it's Halloween night and she uh, Shirley keeps thinking she hears a knock on the door mm-hmm. and she opens it and she's it, then suddenly the noise gets louder and louder. And I think that's supposed to be a reference to that's an homage back to the yep. Oh, yeah. She see now that I've read the book. Because I, I, now that I read the book, I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna go rewatch the series and maybe I'll enjoy it more. Maybe I won't binge it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take my time with it a bit more. Uh, I would recommend watching the 
1963 the version i think you'd really like that yeah i do really want to watch it i couldn't find it online legally so <laughs> maybe i'll find it. either i'll wait to see it with you guys or i'll find it through some other means come watch it with us yeah um and then beth also asked why why make it about people who have had supernatural experiences rather than those who are less familiar with it? And that's actually an interesting question because normally when you have a... This is very common in um, stories or in, like, especially TV shows. If you're going into something unusual or unreal, you'll normally have the one character that's closest to the base in reality to guide you in because they'll be the one character that knows nothing about it. And then it's like, you're going in with them learning like, Oh, okay. But in this the fish out of water. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, honestly, uh, Star Wars isn't too bad because, like, even though Luke's from another world, he still his life is very cute. Like, the world, best like, example is maybe Harry from Harry from Harry Potter. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a great example because Harry is actually he grows up human and then learns about the world of um of the the wizarding world, and it's through him that the reader can understand more and more. It's funny when you said Luke from Star Wars, though, my brain did default to Luke Sanderson, unfortunately. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think uh, this isn't fully the case where it's like both of these characters had something weird happen to them. But why that instead of like, oh, just get regular normal people to join in? Luke was kind of pretty normal. He just happened to be Aaron. That's why he was there. I didn't. Eleanor and Theo got chosen because of of their experience with the supernatural, but that in no way made them experts. Mm -hmm. I feel like they were still very much, you know, like they didn't even like, I don't know if the doctor explains the house first and then why he chose them. But like when he does say, oh, you were chosen for this. They were like, oh, what? Oh yeah. Like Eleanor didn't even seem to remember the whole thing about rocks falling on her house until it was brought up and explained she, which is i think interesting because it's like another thing from her past she'd want to kind of block out because mm-hmm. it drew undue attention to her you think about that yeah um and i think it's also important that the characters be involved in the supernatural before because it lends credence to them being more susceptible to it now mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like okay that makes sense the least, uh, the person least affected, I feel like the t- the two people least affected by it are the two people who have not had huge brushes with the supernatural, uh, Dr. Montague and Luke specifically. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens to them, but it's only because of their proximity to Theo and Nell. Which is interesting because Dr. Montague is the one who knows the most about this. Mm-hmm. And but he's also looking at it from like a very speculative point of view. True. Right. And then. I can't, like, I, but Luke is, like, asking questions. Soon. I'm surprised he doesn't know this. I'm, Luke's Luke's a little more carefree. And you notice he's always the one who quickly busts out the brandy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they're worried about him staying over because not not because of the house itself, but afraid he'll steal things. He I, just has a habit of just, like, Luke's clepto- a bad boy. Just kleptomania. <laughs> um... But yeah, I think that's, I think to answer Beth's question, that's in my mind is why I think it's important that supernatural characters were chosen. Any other questions? Uh, yes, uh, Alex Hatzberger, uh, 
uh, def- friend of the show and our basic Fre- frequent question asker. Yeah, I love I love this one. How do you think the Haunting of Hill House influences horror after its publication and multiple adaptations? Oh fuck! I am so ready to talk about this. Oh my <laughs> god! Okay, so here's here's something fun. So um, Stephen King uh, cited Shirley Jackson's novel as a big inspiration for the Overlook Hotel and The Shining. I can see that. He also was a big influence on him writing eventually the uh, Rose Red. I haven't read Rose Red, so. Rose Red is almost more obliquely about, like, like the Overlook is kind of inspired, but Rose Red is a love letter in the same way because it's about a house that continues to build itself and seems to be its own entity. It's both a love letter that and I think the Winchester Mansion. And it's also about someone performing paranormal research and inviting in a group of people psychically gifted trying to explore the mysteries of this house. Uh, it was a TV miniseries, I want to say, Rose Red. I, again, never saw the miniseries, never read the book. So, so, but, but I've seen a little bit of it, not the whole thing, but it, knowing what I know about the haunting of Hill house and its various adaptations, you can tell King really loved it. And this is just a huge homage to the haunting of Hill house. And I think there's, this is, it, this does something that the turning of the screw didn't do. They made the house a character. Yes. And that becomes a big, big thing in later, like novels and ghost stories. Like, uh, the house is alive. The house is a being. Mm-hmm. I think the the most recent famous one is the House of Leaves, um. which we'll probably read. But yeah, that, <laughs> oh, that that's gonna be a heavy one. Uh, well, it's not. It's not, not heavy in terms of it's gonna be a dense read because there's oh, just so huge. much going on it, in it. It's a it's big. It's it's very for the future. But um, that is also about a house that has its own personality as well. Mm. And my that's mind a- goes to, and I mentioned this when we were when we were talking on the Witching Hour, Crimson Peak mm-hmm. from Guillermo del Toro. <gasps> that's where the right. house. The house itself is is a living character, and it, like even visually with like the red clay that seeps through its floors and walls like blood, like. <laughs> fucking love that house that movie <laughs> i need to watch it hell the overlook hotel was its own character too yeah the, the overlook is, mm-hmm. yeah again you can see it like this is elevator that leaks blood mm-hmm. this is the movie or sorry book this is the book that basically said let's not just talk about the ghosts let's focus on the location that these ghosts live in and it's not and what influences it and that's Fascinating. There's a very, very direct reference, though, and Kayla knows about this, to something all, near and dear to all three of us. <laughs> and that's the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Because, yeah. because Imagineers have cited specifically that while they were planning things for the Haunted Mansion, they were heavily influenced by the 1963 film. Uh, the 1963 film features some key visual elements that would be incorporated into the Haunted Mansion, specifically the breathing doors, Mm -hmm. the faces in the wallpaper, and just the general sense that the house is alive and full of supernatural activity. They were hugely inspired. The the, the never-ending corridor. um, Hanging body in a tower? Huh? Hanging body in a tower? Yep, hanging body in a tower, definitely. A um, a bus that follows, seemingly follow your every move. Um, You think about with the, like the statue of Hugh Crane that's in the um, the sitting room or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and another another thing I just that just dawned on me is the entire uh, Tony Baxter described once he's a, a a major Imagineer. 
Tony Baxter once described that when they did the, so the corridor of doors where there's all the knocking and banging doors with unseen spirits, he said originally what they wanted before they got the cacophony sound was he had wanted there to, he, the Imagineers had actually talked about they wanted that boom, 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 that like rhythmic pounding, booming knock going down the corridor. Like you hear that, like the scene in, in the book where mm-hmm. there's something moving Ooh. down the hall and banging on all the doors. Um, and there used to be, according to what I read, in uh, in Florida, there's a little bit more of that feeling that there's something heavier just rhythmically going down that corridor. Of course, my favorite thing in the corridor doors is that ho- the thing that always gives me chills is that long, loud scream that just seems to rush past you when you're going down the corridor uh, doors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that 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 movie was a huge influence on pr- that scene and s- particularly the corridor of doors and many other aspects of the haunted mansion, particularly the early parts. I know. I think Claude Coates was a big fan of that film, mm-hmm. and he was responsible for the uh, a lot of the first half of the haunted mansion, where there's no you don't see any ghosts, but there's clearly evidence of supernatural activity in the house. I think what I also like to is um, with this book, and I'm not sure if it. I, I could see it having influence, but I think a lot of s- stories don't do this well. Like, clearly Eleanor has um, a mental disorder, but it's portrayed so well. Like, you be- like this, you believe why she would descend into this madness, why she would succumb to this. Like, this is all believable with what she's been through and all that. And I f- feel like a lot of writers, I mean, <laughs> how many creepypastas... Have we read? Touche, touche. Where it's about a person like, oh, I've been driven to madness and I've done something insane. And that's <laughs> why, it, yeah, that sort of thing. And it doesn't go well. Where I think this does it mm, so beautifully. It really does. Like that, that's how you do it. <laughs> Money for nothing. Ghost free. Mm-hmm. That's the way you do it. It's done so well, at least for me when I was reading it, whereas, like, at first you just kind of, you're, you're with Eleanor, and you're like, okay, you're kind of naive, the way you're reacting to things is a little childish, and there came a point where I was like, oh, you're crazy now. You go crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's right. how well that descent was. Like, I didn't even realize it <laughs> yeah. until we were there. <laughs> it's it's smooth, though. It is. Mm-hmm. The, the book has incredible pacing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It is an incredible, really well-paced book. And surprisingly quick read honestly it is short i did uh i found myself getting through it a lot faster than i than i thought i would that i was like okay no i want to enjoy this a little longer so i would like put a bookmark ahead of where i was like that you're only only allowed to read up to this point nice (laughs) um our the book we had was exactly 175 pages and similar to you it's like oh i'm getting through this i'm like wait you know what i want to enjoy this as well so i was doing I, i made it like 25 pages Per day, and that's how I read through it. Mm-hmm. My copy is uh, two hundred thirty-three pages. Oh, interesting. That's a that's different. <laughs> that is different, yeah. But then you guys might have bigger pages. Maybe I think it would different our, typeface too. If it's yeah. hard, if it's hardcover, it's I think I picture a bigger book than my little paperback. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have a teeny paperback, yeah. Ours was pre- it was pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Um. 
and uh, that's all our questions. Do we have any finishing mm, thoughts? We have one more question. We do. We do? From Discord yeah. on the Darkly Lit room Ooh, in I, the Creative Horror Discord. I must have missed it. Given how much praise this book gets, I'd be extremely interested. Oh, it's from Red Wolf? Something Red Wolf. Sorry. Oh, Ficus? Totally Ficus. There we go. Ficus Red Wolf. Cool. Um, I'd be extremely interested in what everyone considered to be the weaker parts of the story, or rather, what were your least favorite parts? Um, and that's really hard. Yeah, question, we're all really like, here. You know, there, thing, it was a very strong book. The only thing I would say, um, there's par the problem. Uh, the paragraphs are very long, and I feel they could have just just visually, it could have been like. Ugh. cut into smaller paragraphs because mm -hmm. there would be times I'd be like wow this is going for a while and my eyes kind of needed a break a little did, did anyone think the bit in the diner in Hillsdale was kind of unnecessary it, it is unnecessary I think the idea was well maybe it was for us to get to know we're Eleanor, getting to know Eleanor a little well I think I think uh, like the, all the scenes where she's like on her drive I, th I don't I don't see them as weak because one we're getting a sense of like what what Eleanor is like, and then a lot of like the little things that she saw, or, you know, the, the the cup of stars and the the little the stone lions were tied into all the lies that she's telling later. True, true, true. That's fair. I think for me, the part that I had trouble with was when uh, Miss Montague and Arthur show up because suddenly it was kind of like a, a very drastic change. Mm -hmm. And like, so, oh, because like I think anytime you introduce new characters very late into a story it's a little jarring if you don't do it well and it did kind of like throw me off a little bit until i don't know i don't i, I don't dislike that they were there i love the characters i love to hate them <laughs> it, it, but i think it threw me off for a little bit that's the only part where i couldn't feel like i would say was maybe a little weak but like yeah yeah only because that. you're making me find something will same I that out. It, yeah it's a little it's a little off kilter and it's actually that's one of the things that spoilers it's one of the things that they kind of drop from the the movie the 63 1963 adaptation uh mrs montague or in this case, Mrs. Markway. Her name's his name's Doctor Markway I, in the book. Did they? Or in the in the movie? I don't know why they changed it in the movie. I'm assuming because Montague is the name of a character from Romeo and Juliet. Maybe there were rights or something. I don't uh, know. But they changed it in both movies. I think they might have. Uh, Eleanor is not Eleanor Vance. Also, she's Eleanor Lance. Um, I didn't get. It's a very minor thing. But um, Mrs. The Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Montague is a very different character in the movie. There's no Arthur for one, and um, when she shows up, she's very she's incredibly skeptical. She's not a spirit enthusiast. She's the exact opposite yeah. of of uh, Doctor Doctor Markway in this, and um, and that kind of is where that her presence still causes things to happen. But that's, in my opinion, one of the places where the book the book and the movie deviate mm -hmm. pretty strongly. But it doesn't different. It doesn't uh, deflate what's happening in the movie. So, in fact, I feel like it leads to some really good scenes later. Her presence in the house. Oh yeah, same. Yeah. So. But yeah, it. Hill House gets pissed off for a different reason. Like there, in terms of like weak parts, there really isn't any. Like if it is, it's minor. Yeah. So it, it's because it is a good read. I mean, we it's, we did talk about how odd it was that these characters all bonded as quickly as they that, did, oh, and the yeah. way that their dialogue just seems so like. They talk, they've just met, and they talk like they've known each other for years in the way they're able to quip off each other. Mm -hmm. It's kind of charming, but at the same time, you have to scratch your head a little bit. 
Did anyone? I feel like it was, it, it didn't throw me off. I don't know, maybe one thing, like, we don't know, like, how you were supposed to act with other people at that time period. <laughs> but, like, I think when you're put in that situation of, like, oh, I'm going to be spending the summer with these people, you kind of have to, I don't know. You put your hostess glasses on and kind of well, like, yeah, you want to kind of, like, make sure that you're, you're going you're gonna to get along with them. So you kind of put your friendliest self forward. You know, and everyone's, that's, I don't know. And they've all... And I'm also, very antisocial. What the fuck do I know? Yeah, that's fair. Also, the dialogue, it comes, it does come when they're drinking, too. Or, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Great icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> I love when Mon- Dr. Montague keeps calling Luke boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, boy. <laughs> um, Man, we, I'm sorry, everyone, if this is a long episode, but holy crap. I think this is great. I think this book is going to it gets unanimous uh, praise from all of us. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would read it again, maybe sometime in the future. And I'm definitely going to watch and I'm definitely going to watch the movie again. Uh, if not, if if not very soon, then at least the next time you're here visiting us, Aid, we're going to plant you on our couch and get you to watch it with us. We are movie sitting night. you down and <laughs> forcing you to watch this. We are tying you up and making sure. We're doing the whole clockwork orange like <laughs> thing. Um, so for the month of March, uh, our next book we're going to be reading is I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, which is interesting because I don't think we've read a zombie novel before but is it really about zombies mm, is it because if we wanted to read about zombies we could always do you know world war z or something <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if you guys are down we are doing i am legend so start so get those books ready we'll uh be uh we'll see you in march for uh some good old proper apocalyptic nonsense at least i think that's mm, what it some good old sci-fi horror which we, I think the last one we sci-fi horror we read was I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. So I, Sounds look, right. I like this. I look forward to this. Sweet. All right. Any plugs? Listen to Midnight Marinara. Even though there's not many new ones recently, just go back and listen. If you like horror fiction and short horror fiction and horror fiction done in the form of an audio drama with lots of voice acting, that's what I do. You can also listen to UCA, the podcast I do that takes no time and no effort and is basically a big giant dumpster fire of terrible fiction most of the time. Although I will say um, we did, uh, I did have Sade and Ravel from the Witching Hour as guests. And we read a really, actually a pretty decent story called Mary, mm-hmm. which is going to be the next, it is, it's either the next or current episode as of this recording or the release of this episode on uh, UCA. So that's worth checking out. Hey, go check out The Witching Hour, where myself and Ravel uh, just did... Oh, actually, David joined us for it, too. We just did... If you want more, like, ghost stories or haunted houses, we just did a whole episode on ghost stories and haunted houses. And Ophelia tells us about weird shit that happened has been happening at the Bundy house. So, still tied into serial killers. Can't get off that <laughs> Bundy train. freaking talk about, yeah. Should we... Should we blow... Well, sorry, that's your line. Oh, Oh, you can take it from me. You can. No, it's yours. You want to blow out? Shall the we can- blow out the candles then? <laughs> All right, I'll blow out the candles because you know we. Uh, when we blow out the, the candles, uh, silence will stay. Will lay steadily against the wood and brick of this podcast, and we who walk here walk alone. It was.
was a house without kindness, never meant to be lived in, not a fit place for people or for love or for hope. Exorcism cannot alter the countenance of a house. Hill House would stay as it was until it was destroyed. 